personal encouragement to hang out at one of the second Sunday lunches today, if you can. Um, I know some people thinking, oh man, that's a lot to go to lunch. I'll do it next time. But you thought that last month. It's next time. So it's time to go. Um, but we're going to try to do that every second Sunday because we really love to get people connected and eating together is one of the great ways we could get to do that. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Stephanie. I'm the lead pastor here at Mill City, and I'm so grateful that you all are here. And uh, welcome to those of you who are visiting and maybe just kind of checking, checking out a new church. I know that can be challenging, so welcome, and we hope that you feel uh, comfortable here. I have a couple things I wanted to mention before we jump into our text today, and the, and the main thing is some of you have asked, hey, are we going to move to having masks optional at some time soon? Uh, right now, the Minneapolis Public Schools still has the mask policy in place for everyone who comes into Minneapolis Public Schools. That's different than what changed in the city. And here's what I want to encourage you, friends. Uh, most of you probably know that right now the Minneapolis Public School teachers and support staff are, are striking because of wanting more fair wages and different things going on. So they're not exactly putting changing the mask policy at the top of the meeting agenda <laughs> right now because the students aren't even in school. And so what I want to invite us as a community who are being served by this school and being hosted here is to just be patient. It's a fruit of the Spirit, amen, and just recognize that as we're wearing the masks even today, would you just use that as a reminder to pray can we just be praying for what's going on here? This is really difficult for everyone involved, the district, the teachers, especially the students. So please just be praying, and as soon as there's a change, we will let you know. We're going to continue to have our 9 o'clock service, so if those of you are looking for a little bit more space at any point, we'll have that through uh, past Easter. So just know that that's much easier to spread out there, um, but we're glad that you can join us here or online at any time. But let's do that. Let's pray for, for the schools before we jump in today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are worshiping you freely here in this public school. We do not take that for granted. There are places in this world that is not possible, and we are thankful that we can openly call out to your name, Jesus, here in this school. We thank you for Sheridan and for their hospitality to us. And God, right now, we plead with you on behalf of the students, the faculty, the staff, the district of Minneapolis Public Schools. God, would you make a way? Will you make a way where it seems like there's not a way? God, we, we want people to, to be valued for their work. We also want there to be students that get to go to school. And so, God, we pray that in this week even that you would make a way and that you would allow us to continue to be support to all involved. And we thank you that we get to still worship here and we ask, God, that you would just allow your Holy Spirit to come into this place and, and change the reality. We believe that when you're present, it changes reality. And so we welcome you here today and throughout the rest of this week. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, okay, last weekend I had a birthday. It wasn't like one of those like really big birthdays yet. Um, but I was with some friends and they asked me this question that I posed to you today of what were you like when you were a kid? Because that seems like a good 39th birthday question, you know, because you're almost 40, you might forget what you were like when you were a kid at some point. So I still remember for the most part, but some things are getting a little fuzzy. But when I thought about the question, my first reaction was, I think I'm pretty, I think it was a similar version of like a younger version of myself now. Like I think I was kind of similar when I was a kid. So I don't know if you feel like you changed a lot. But when I looked back, I thought, you know, I'm kind of like the same I am now, but like a kid version at the time. I, you know, at the time was, you know, a little bit like still loud, okay, and like thought when I came into a situation that um, I could lead this situation probably. Does someone need a leader? I'm here. I'm nine years old, you know, so I'm ready. What do we need to do? And so in my family, this was a little bit challenging at times because, you know, I'm coming in and I'm thinking I'm nine years old. You might need my help. So if we're doing a family thing, I will make the plans, mom and dad. And so you're welcome. 
And the problem with that is that my parents were leaders in their own right, okay? And then we've got, I'm like nine-year-old Steph, not that much shorter than I am now, but nine-year-old Steph, and then we've got like seven-year-old my brother who also had a lot of ideas about how things could be done, if you know my brother. And that caused a little bit of tension at times. If you are an Enneagram person, I know you all aren't, and that's totally fine. If you're an Enneagram person, to put it plainly, I'm an Enneagram 8, my brother's an Enneagram 8, my dad was an Enneagram 8, and my mom was a 1. If you're like, I don't care about the Enneagram, let me tell you, this is all you need to know. It meant every one of us thought that we had a knee-jerk reaction to take charge of everything all the time. And so my parents got really creative, bless their hearts, and they decided, well, in certain situations, you know, they would just say, listen, you're not in charge, nine-year-old Steph. Other times, they would say, let's, let's do a little plan, and we would assign someone to be the director of any certain project. So for instance, if we're going to clean out the garage on a Saturday, my dad might say to my little brother, hey, you're seven. It's time, Rob, for you to be the leader of the garage cleaning out. You're the director, and the rest of us are your consultants. Okay, so this was mature of my dad. Now, what I know is that, that that was good. That helped us develop as little leaders. What I also know is that that is not an efficient way to clean out a garage when the seven-year-old is calling the shots. That's just not going to go. Um, so I think about my parents and how what they were trying to teach us, I think, is how they, as the parents, could choose to share authority with us as kids so that we could grow and so that we could learn and, and become, you know, be, become leaders as we're like these little leaders who are trying to figure out what to do with our energy. And I love that about them. And as we grew up from being not so little leaders uh, to not so little leaders, uh, we quickly found out that the power sharing that was going on in my family, that was not the norm. The norm when we, as we grew up, as you know, is more power plays, and people figuring out how can we use our power not to love, not to share responsibility, not to teach, but to take control of other people and to power over those who are not as strong. And we don't have to look past the front page of the newspaper to see how that gets us, where that gets us, right? And this is the thing that I think we have an opportunity for as Jesus followers, and that is that Jesus' life and ministry modeled something so much different than the power plays in the world. Jesus was the most powerful human that ever walked this earth, and he lived differently with his authority and power in a way that I think gives us an opportunity to say, what does it mean for us to pay attention to the authority that that God has? Jesus had authority over all things, yet he chose to use his authority in ways that would seem backwards, that would seem upside down to the power plays of this world. Instead of Jesus using his power to power over people, he used his power and authority to bring healing and freedom and forgiveness. Jesus is a new kind of king of a very new kind of kingdom. And Jesus used his authority and power to bring healing and freedom and forgiveness. We're going to continue in the book of Matthew, which has been in this whole year. So if you're new with us, we've been just going through the book of Matthew. We're only at chapter 8, so you can catch up pretty easily. Uh, we just finished talking about the Sermon on the Mount, this sermon that's become very famous of Jesus. And uh, now we see Jesus begin to step into his ministry in this full way. He's doing these miracles that you'll see here in chapter 8 and 9 are just mind-blowing. But the thing is, it's not always a good thing when certain people's minds are blown by what Jesus is doing, and we're going to see that. Jesus shows his kingdom authority, not by powering over people who are weaker than him, not by trying to control those who don't have enough power. Jesus shows his power by having power over sickness, 
Power over sin, power over brokenness, power over the demonic and the spiritual forces, power over even nature, and we'll even see in this story power over death. That is a different way to use, my power, to use power, is it not, compared to the ways that we might. So if you have a Bible and, uh, or an app, turn to Matthew 8 or 9, and I'm serious, if you're one of those people that's like, yeah, probably not, today is a day to pull it out, because we're going to go through 8 and 9, and uh, there's a lot that is packed into these two chapters. We don't usually do this where we really blitz through, but I think you're going to see how we want to, to look at this. Why would Matthew put so much in just two chapters? Why would Matthew want to show this power and authority in, in these two chapters in this way? Um, so I want you to get that out, and we're going to blitz through. All right, and you're gonna, are you going to be able to keep up? Daylight savings, people? All right, we're going to do it. We're going to go through. And what I want you to wonder about as we go through these stories is this. How is Jesus using his power and authority different than the power plays we see in the world? How is Jesus using his power and authority differently than, we, than the power plays we see in this world? So let's start right away, the beginning of chapter 8. Uh, it says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, from the Sermon on the Mount, right? Okay, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, in verse 1, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, which had been crazy in itself. And he said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Interesting that Jesus says, don't tell anyone. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. So this is this first healing that we see. Jesus touches this man with leprosy, which nobody would have touched. He would have been considered untouchable and somebody who was considered an untouchable. And Jesus touches him. All right, keep going. Chapter 8, verse 5. A centurion, this is a Roman soldier now. This is not a Jewish person. This centurion, this person who has some political power, comes to Jesus and says, I believe that you could heal my servant who's back home, paralyzed and suffering. And Jesus does it. He heals this man. He's not even physically with him. And it says in verse 10, Jesus says to this soldier, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. He says this to this man. Here, this word faith, this is important, is not merely an intellectual agreement. You understand, like the Roman soldier wasn't like reading up on this Jesus guy and was like, I think I'm into it. No, he, he's coming with trust. The word in Greek here for faith is piston. It could be translated as trust. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great trust in me, Jesus says. Chapter 8, 14, Jesus heals his disciple Peter's mother. And it's just crazy. She gets up, she starts making food, okay? And then this is how it's described in verse 16. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And Jesus drove out the spirits with a word, <laughs> and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. This is in Isaiah 53, 4. And Matthew's trying to point out here, Jesus is taking up these infirmities and boring, he's carrying these diseases to make these people whole and to heal them. Continuing on, chapter 8, 23, Jesus calms the storm, a story some of us are familiar with. The disciples are on a boat, and the storm comes, and they think, oh my goodness, Jesus, he's sleeping. So they have to wake him up, and they're like, Jesus, there's a storm. And it says in verse 26, he replied, Jesus replied, you of little faith. Okay, so he just said great faith or great trust, and now he says, you of, of little trust. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up, he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. 
because he's got power over even nature. And then it says the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So then we continue on in verse 28. The boat arrives at its destination, which was questionable for a minute, but they made it. And Jesus heals these two men that come that are controlled by demons. And he sends the demons out of the humans and into these pigs, and he sets these two men free. I mean, just hard to get our minds around. They were in bondage, and he set them free with just a word. And then it says in verse 34, this is what the people, how the people respond. The whole town went out to meet Jesus. And you're thinking, wow, they're so impressed. No, when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave the region. Because the authority he was showing was not what they were used to, and I think they were scared. In chapter 9, we continue, it's more of the same. Jesus heals a man who was paralyzed. And in this story, it's different. Not only did he heal him physically, but he heals him spiritually because he says that he's forgiven. This really got the teachers of the law upset, the idea that he forgave his sins. Jesus forgiving sins was not authority that they felt comfortable with. They were not comfortable with Jesus having that kind of authority. Uh, And Jesus responds in kind of an interesting way uh, when you continue on in verse 5, chapter 9, verse 5. He says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Both sound kind of intense to me. And he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forget on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up and take your mat and go home. Then the man got up, went home. When the crowd saw this, this time they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to a man. See, the authority just keeps coming up. So then in verse 9, we see Jesus continuing on. This, I mean, Matthew is just showing just how intense this is. And we see Jesus call Matthew, the tax collector. And here he is writing about this, right? And and Matthew, the tax collector, was considered a, a... like somebody who was actually a traitor to the Jewish community. And he was considered a sinner. And then it says very clearly that Jesus sits down and has a meal with tax collectors and sinners. And that also ticks people off, right? The religious leaders and the teachers of the law, they they look at him and they think, why would you do this? Jesus is showing that he has the authority to offer mercy and forgiveness. The idea of table fellowship or sitting down to eat with people, um, we're talking about doing that this afternoon together. But then at that time, Who you sat down to eat with meant these are the people that you hang out with. These are the people that you want to see uh, your sense of prestige around. And you would never, no self-respecting person would eat with these people on purpose. You know, you might sit down and go, whoops, this is not where I wanted to sit. Jesus is choosing to eat with these people who the folks are saying this is people on the margins, people who should not be eaten with. This is so different, right? Because a leader, somebody who wants to show their power and their authority, they're going to choose to eat with the other prominent figures, right? Who gets to sit at the table is a prestigious question. And Jesus is turning that upside down. And he quotes Hosea 6.6 6 to them. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What kind of all-powerful leader uses his authority for mercy? <laughs> that's, not, that's not typical. Today, I don't think. It certainly wasn't in the first century. This was out of the ordinary. And then in chapter 9, we continue on, verse 18 through 25, we literally see Jesus stop a funeral procession to heal the person that everyone's mourning. Can you even imagine? This young girl comes back from the dead. He stops the flutes. He stops all of the people who are are processing to, to, to mourn this young girl, and he brings her back to life. 
Matthew just says that and then moves on to the next thing. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> he heals this woman. Jesus heals this woman who has enough faith just to reach out and touch his cloak. And he tells her that her faith has healed her. Now listen to this exchange during this last healing mentioned here in this setting. The very end of chapter 9, we see this last healing, and I, I'll write it out here uh, for you. This is what happens in verse 27. As Jesus went out from, out from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. They can't see, but they're trying to follow Jesus the best that they can. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? There we go again, believe. Do you trust? Faith, trust, believe. Synonyms here. Do you trust that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. He's doing that again. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. All of this happens in just two chapters. Matthew, I think, is trying to make a really clear point, okay? And this is what I think he's trying to prove. Jesus uses his authority and power to bring healing, freedom, and forgiveness. And this is, a, this is countercultural. This is not what you'd expect from the most powerful human that ever lived. Because a lot of people actually were claiming that they were the most powerful, Caesar, human, whoever. Jesus uses his authority to bring healing and freedom and forgiveness. This is the point, I think, that Matthew's trying to make by cramming all of these really authoritative things into these two chapters. Jesus is a new kind of king of a new kind of kingdom. And Jesus shows his kingdom authority, not by powering over others or controlling others, but showing that he has power over sickness and sin and brokenness and demonic forces and nature and even power over death. So when we look at this flyover of Matthew 8 and 9 uh, of Jesus' miraculous ministry, I think that it begs a question. And the question is, how are the humans responding to this? And if you notice, it's, it's pretty varied. I made a list here for you of the different ways we see just in these two chapters, the humans respond. Remember, the, the, the Bible, the main character is God. The, the main character of this story is Jesus. And all of the other things that are happening to the humans, they're the supportive characters. How do they respond to Jesus' authority? Well, we see that Jesus says the centurion's response to Jesus' authority is to have great faith or great trust. He tells the scared disciples on the boat that they have little faith or little trust. That's their response, but there's still some, okay? After Jesus calms the storm, it says that they're amazed. So that's one response, to be amazed. When Jesus helps set the two men free of the demons, he's asked to leave the region, as we saw. So that's a response to say, that's scary. I, I, you know, I don't want to deal with that. And so he's, he's sent away. And there's lots of these different responses. You can kind of see they, they're... There's lots of different ways that people respond. But then we have this last thing, and this is this idea of leery and threatened. We see that in these religious leaders, don't we? They are leery of Jesus' authority, and they are threatened by Jesus' authority. Now, let's talk about this idea of Jesus telling people not to tell anyone about what, he, what he's done. This is interesting, isn't it? It happens in the Gospel of Mark also, and scholars call it the messianic secret, the messianic secret. And there's a lot of thoughts about exactly why. Why would Jesus do this? I mean, if, if someone today did a miracle, they would like tweet it and they would, you know, boost the post. So everyone knew that they did this. And 
this is not what Jesus does. Why does he not want people to know? So we don't know exactly, but I think a clue about why Jesus is doing this, and many scholars think this is true, is because he knows that his authority and power is a threat to those who have authority and power. And he knows that eventually that's going to lead to them taking his life. And he recognizes that there's a time and a place for what needs to happen before that happens. But the truth is, is that when this power and authority is being used for love and mercy, it's a threat to the people who are trying to hold on to their power and authority. And in, in the, I would say, the defense of these religious leaders, they are a part of an oppressed people group who are also being powered over by the Roman uh, community as well. So they're trying to hold on to whatever little power they have. And we see this play out today, don't we? And so that's a threat. And so the messianic secret might be about how Jesus is saying it's not time yet for these guys to turn on me. And you know how the game of telephone goes when someone says what happens, what happens, what happens. Who knows, but by the time it gets to Capernaum, what Jesus did. You know, it could have been a very different story. And so they're leery. They're feeling concerned. And so he asks people, you know, don't share this too far. It's for the pe Maybe what I'm doing in showing this authority is for the people who are here right now. So we see the various ways people respond in just a few chapters. And I think it begs the question then, how do we respond to Jesus' authority? How do we respond to Jesus' authority in our life? And you know me, I'm always like, look, shame-free zone, let's just be honest with Jesus. He can handle it. Maybe we resonate with the first century people. Maybe sometimes we have great faith. More often than not, we have little faith, let's be honest. We might be amazed at times. Sometimes we're overcome and we can't wait to share the news. Other times we're concerned or a little leery or not sure what that means. And let's also be honest, there's times when it feels like a threat because we want to keep control of our own lives. And that's real. I'll be the first one to admit it. Sometimes we feel other things we could add to the list, right? That, that any, I've heard you and others say, right? Sometimes it's actually a little bit confusing. How does Jesus' authority work? It's a little confusing. Sometimes we feel a little bit unsure. Sometimes we feel kind of apathetic because we got a lot going on. Some of us feel stubborn and we want to dig our heels in because we don't want to give that authority over. Sometimes when we just let Jesus' authority into our life, we just feel relieved, we just feel uh, thankful <laughs> at times. But where would you say that you are today? Can we, can we just have an honest moment with Jesus about where you're at with that? Maybe you don't know exactly, but something to ponder. I think it's understandable that we find ourselves in, in different places, responding differently throughout different seasons of our lives. But how do we respond to King Jesus? We might find ourselves responding in all these different ways, but how might Jesus, in his love, invite us to respond? Not in his judgment, not in his shame. How might Jesus, in his love, invite us to respond to him as the most authoritative being? I kind of see three things that this passage affirms, and we see this throughout the Gospels as, as well. Jesus invites us to respond with surrender, trust, and expectancy. Surrender, trust, and expectancy. Surrender. You see this in these stories. In each of these healing stories, do you notice how the people come to Jesus asking him for help? They come to him. Coming to Jesus is an act of surrender, of letting go of control. The centurion has power, but he can't help his friend. The people who pick up their friend and bring the paralyzed friend to Jesus, they, they can't do anything for him. They're powerless. They need Jesus' authority in the situation. The disciples are scared in the boat, so they wake Jesus up. The woman who needs healing grabs Jesus' cloak as an act of surrender, knowing that she hasn't been able to be healed in any other way. 
They let go of control and they come to Jesus. That's the simplest way for me to talk about surrender when I think about it in my own life. You look down and you realize you're trying to grab control and and you say, I got to let this go and I got to come to Jesus. And most of us need to do this every day because we find ourselves grabbing that control back again. But you let, you realize what you're controlling and trying to hold on to, you let it go and you come to Jesus. This is what we see happen in this story. This is what surrender is all about. And it's challenging for us because we think we can figure it out on our own sometimes. I don't know why Jesus made us as smart as we are because then we think we're just so smart we can do it without him. But we can't. And so we have to recognize that we have to stop trying so hard and turn to Jesus and surrender. Secondly, we respond to Jesus with trust. We let go, we surrender, we come to Jesus, and then we offer our trust. We offer our trust. Jesus says the disciples have little trust. (laughs) And he says the centurion has great trust. But do you notice in this story that even with just a little trust, Jesus still calms the storm? Jesus wasn't necessarily measuring it in some sort of of way where he was only going to do what they wanted him to do if it was enough trust. That's not how we see that play out here. It's clear that faith and trust is what brings healing, forgiveness, and freedom. But Jesus says it's okay if it's only just a little bit of trust. It's just a little bit of faith, the faith of a mustard seed Jesus talks about. We can get so caught up in thinking that, well, maybe I didn't have healing or freedom, and maybe my prayer didn't count because I didn't have enough faith. Where Jesus here, I just don't think that that's the heart. That's legalism, like that there's some sort of amount or something like that. Jesus is just like, could you just bring a little trust to me? Let's start there. I believe Jesus is pleased even if we just have enough faith, just enough trust to ask. But trust also means that we trust Jesus when we ask for healing and it doesn't happen the way that we hope. This is the hard part, isn't it? This is the hard part. Let's talk about trusting God for healing for a minute. So my, I put in my notes, healing interlude. Okay, so let's just have a healing interlude moment because I think we've got a lot of thoughts about this, a lot of questions, and that's okay. I feel like, that I'll just come out with it and say, I believe that God can heal supernaturally because I've seen it in my life. I also easily, as somebody who loves science, would say, look at this, God created this. God can heal in any way God wants to, and all healing is God's healing. God created and ordered the world, so when God uses medicine, therapy, surgery, all that, that is God's healing too. But at the same time, I know that God heals supernaturally because I've seen it in my life. The first experience of this in my life was when I was just a little kid. Some of you know that my dad passed away when I was a teenager. I was 17. Uh, He had been sick for almost 10 years when he died. Now, what I don't always share is that when he was diagnosed, he was 41 years old, I was seven, and he was given two years to live. Two years. In the end, I just told you the end of the story, his body was not completely healed on earth. I do believe that he's you know, his body is restored now. He's with Jesus. But here's what happened. We, we didn't see the answer to the prayer we wanted exactly, did we? Then again, here's what also happened. Supernatural healing and experiences during those years that he was sick made two-year life expectancy turn into 10. And I, I saw it with my own eyes. And it changed me. I saw God's miraculous healing even though his life was cut short at 50. But you see the tension, Right? I saw the miracles, so I knew he could have done anything. I I knew deep in my soul that God could have healed him and he could still be with us today, but he didn't. That's the tension. We did have more years than we were originally promised, and that was a miracle, yet we didn't get everything we wanted. We've talked about 
this together as a community about how we're in the messy middle where the kingdom of God is here already but not fully yet. And so that means we see glimpses of the kingdom of God. And I think whenever there's healing of any type, that, that, that's the kingdom coming in our midst. But it's not fully here yet, is it? And so we don't always get what we hope for and what we plead with God for and what we pray for. I do believe Jesus will return and set us all free and give us all healing and all things will be made new if we trust in him. But that's not what it feels like right now, does it? And even though that's true and it can make us weary, I just want to encourage our community to be bold in praying for healing. I want us to be bold. Some of you have been in the, the Novo Spiritual Authority cohorts and we've been learning how we can be bold when we pray in the name of Jesus because he has all the authority, of course. It's like my dad and mom uh, giving me the authority when I was growing up. Like they were choosing to give it to me as a little kid even though I didn't deserve it and I didn't know what I was doing with it. But God does that with us and gives us authority in the world over brokenness and disease and sin and bondage when we realize that that comes in the name of Jesus. And one of the things I've learned from the Novo cohort that I really love is how when we pray in the name of Jesus, we can trust that something always happens, even if we can't see it. Most of the time, God doesn't do everything we may hope for, but God always does something, even if we can't see it. This is key. Most of the time, God doesn't do everything, but God always does something. That's what I saw in my little development life when I saw miracles happen, but we didn't get everything we wanted. I trust this now in my life, even though it's hard. God will bring healing, forgiveness, and freedom, even if it's not in the ways that we hope. So I want you to think right now about healing that you might need in your own life, healing in the lives of other people that you're close to. Just, just let God bring those people and those thoughts to your mind. Um, we'll come back to that in just a minute. When we pray for healing, all you need is a little faith, just a little trust. We pray with authority in the name of Jesus and then... Third, and finally, with expectancy, with hearts of expectancy. The last way I think we're invited to respond to Jesus' authority is with expectancy. Not expectations, but expectancy. Are we going to have expectations? Oh yeah, for sure, we're humans. We're going to have expectations that are not met most of the time, often. But that doesn't mean that we don't have expectancy. We can choose to have expectancy. That's a choice. If Jesus is a new kind of king of a new kind of kingdom, then anything can happen, right? We see in Ephesians, Paul says that God is able to do more than we could ask or imagine. What if we had a posture of expectancy? God won't meet every expectation we have. If God met every expectation we had, that would be transactional, not relational. That just wouldn't be a relationship. When we have expectancy, we might see the Spirit move in ways we would have never expected. When we pray for healing, there's an invitation. This is something I've started to do. When, when you ask me to pray for you or... I'm praying for my own healing in my life or people around me. You know what I've started to do? I've started to just pray, you know, here was the request, maybe for physical healing. And then I just say to God, would you just heal anything else that needs healing, even if this person doesn't even know they need healing from this? <laughs> would you heal this, this thing in my own life? But God, I probably need healing in ways I don't even know. Could you also be healing that too? And I have expectancy that even if the thing that I'm praying for directly doesn't happen the way I want it to, God's doing something. Because we need a whole lot of healing, don't we? What if we had expectancy about that? What if we had expectancy that King Jesus had the authority to do more than we could ask or imagine if we were willing to look for it? I'm going to have the band come up, and <clears throat> I just want to, as they're coming up, I just want to call out the, 
the elephant in the Mill City room most of the time. You guys know what it is? It's that Mill City folks, sometimes, some of us, struggle with cynicism. Maybe because your pastor struggles with it. I don't know. It's real, though. And, and why? I mean, it's not shocking. I think God knows that we do. Some of us struggle with cynicism. If that's not you, like, just start praying for someone next to you. Like, if you struggle with cynicism, God knows that, but it, it makes sense. Why do we struggle with that? Because there's been times when we had expectations in life dashed, not once, not twice, but multiple times. There's times when we thought, we thought, we really thought we could trust this person, but it turns out we couldn't. There's times when we felt like our prayers were being prayed and God wasn't even listening. And so it leads to cynicism that some of us have. And that's just going to be a part of our lives. And I think we need to acknowledge that. And here's two things that have helped me when it comes to this area of healing and, and God's authority. First of all, when Jesus does bring healing in this life, can we see about that it's not a, only about the person being healed? but about how it shows God's power and authority to the people who witness it? And can we also see that if what God does is not exactly what we want God to do, but we still trust God, how that shows God's power and authority to the people around us as well? Secondly, can we recognize that the deepest healing all of us need is from the sin and the brokenness in our own hearts and in the world around us. That's the deepest healing that we need. And Jesus offers that to us if we trust him as our savior and our, our leader, then we get that eternal promise of complete healing for anyone who trusts in Jesus. Jesus uses his authority and power to bring healing and freedom and forgiveness. If you have your phone with you today, this is one of those bring out your phone in church days. Um, we've done this before where we text something in and we're going to collect something up here on the screen. And this is going to be the, the prayers for the people who need healing in your life or for you. You could do a first name or just an initial, maybe just one phrase like emotional healing or uh, healing from cancer or uh, healing from depression, something like that. Uh, when you see, we've, for those of you who haven't done this before, we've got this really great code word, Mill City Chur 001. That's the free code word. And you text that to 22333. And then it'll tell you you're ready to, to add uh, to, the, to the thing. We're going to pull it up here on the screen in a minute. So follow these instructions. And then just type in. After you do the, the code, type in people who need healing. We're going to collect these. We're going to share these this week. Once again, don't, don't share anything that someone wouldn't want shared. Use their initials or, or their first name. But just share it and we'll, we'll collect them here. And we'll pray over these together. So just put, put anything that you can think of. Just let God bring it to your mind. And just text it in. put them up here on the screen in just a minute. We've got people who pray over you all every week. You can send prayer requests like this anytime you want. You can come on Sundays and we'll pray for you. There's people who pray at nine o'clock every week because we believe that when we pray in the name of Jesus, something always happens, even if everything doesn't. And so let us know how we can pray for you. 
Continue on. Keep sending these. As they come to mind, we'll be collecting them off the screen and be able to pray over them this week. But we believe that God can heal. We believe that God can bring healing and that God might be doing things that we don't even get to see. So keep sending those in. Let me pray over these before we go into this time of worship. Jesus, we pray for healing in your name. We believe that there is authority in your name and we trust that the authority that you have will change reality. Help us to trust even when we don't see it and to trust that it's about you and you being glorified and praised, not just about us. For all of these people that we're thinking about today as we're collecting these names, God, we pray that you would bring healing in the name of Jesus and we pray that you'd bring healing even if there's needs in their life that they don't know about or that they haven't shared with anyone yet. God, we pray that you'd bring healing in their life and in our lives. God, we pray that you would receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise because you are the one of the most ultimate authority yet also the most ultimate love and mercy. And for that, we thank you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.